Warning, the content in this episode may be triggering. And two hours of being in the ER, he just unexpectedly passed away. Hi, I'm Chelsea B. And for those of you who don't know me, let me introduce myself. I'm not a life coach, a therapist, or a certified anything really, except like CPR and first aid. (laughs) Heck, I don't even have a college degree. I am, however, a regular old human with a huge heart and problems just like you. If you're looking for a podcast to solve all of life's mysteries and show you how to become super successful, you're in the wrong place. This is Beyond the Picket Fence, a podcast that tells the behind the scenes of people's lives to remind you that no one is perfect. This is officially your invitation to take a break from trying to keep it all together. Let's get real. My name is Bailey Kanega. I teach American Sign Language to high school students at ALA. I am a mom, a friend, a teacher, um, yeah, a sister. I do it all. This is Bailey Kanega, and my goodness, this girl has a story to share, so get your tissues, because it's a tearjerker for sure. Bailey has been married to her fairy tale husband for just about eight years, and when we recorded this episode, Bailey was 39 weeks pregnant and ready to pop. Bailey is so cheery and smiley and always a bright light in every room she walks into, and I know this because Bailey was my neighbor and friend for years. We had just started to really become friends when my son was born with a congenital heart defect. And then, as life does, we got busy and rarely hung out, which is a bummer because I've always watched Bailey from afar, just in complete awe. In my struggle, I knew a little about the things that she was going through, but not much. She is here to tell her whole story. And guys, it's a good one. How does one stay so positive through obstacles life sends? Let's go beyond this picket fence to find out. It begins with my favorite kind of story, a love story. So it dates back to 2012. (laughs) Um, I was 14. My husband was 17. We obviously were not married at that point, but we were both in high school and we sat across the hall from each other. We had different classes and we thought we each other were cute, but we were too nervous to talk to each other. And so one day he folded a paper airplane and threw it at me and I was like, that is such a, a weird thing to do in high school. What are you doing? And it sparked the conversation. Just a side note, Bailey wears a necklace that has a little metal figure of a paper airplane. So cute. It's like that one Pixar short with the paper airplanes. I'm not sure that it gets any cuter than this. They eventually started dating that October. Bailey was a sophomore and Tanner was a junior. Then, of course, in time, he turned into a senior. When he graduated in May. He put his mission papers in. He went to Mozambique in Africa and we wrote for the two years. I finished out high school. Bailey graduated in May of 2015 and Tanner returned that June from his mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it was like no time had passed. We were like my best friend was home and we got to be together and And so we dated and we were engaged two and a half weeks later (laughs) and married two and a half months later. And it was like, I got my fairy tale ending. Like I, I got to marry my Prince Charming and it was so exciting. And, um, we had kind of moved fast with everything. And so we, we weren't stopping there. So we ended up getting a house. I was 19. Yeah. I was about to turn 19 and we bought our house and 
life was really, really good. I remember you moving in and you guys were like this cute little young couple right across the street from us. We went on a double date. Yeah, we did Feed My Starving Children. That's what it was. We went and did Feed My Starving Children and we went out to dinner with you guys and we left and we were just like, oh my gosh, they are the cutest <laughs> thing ever. Oh my so gosh. We loved, I... You guys were just like so full of life and young and sweet. And I'm like, oh my gosh, though that is a fun couple right there. So it, we loved you guys. From the it beginning. was really fun. I look back at pictures and I'm like, oh, we had no idea what was coming to us. Like we were just naive and just in our own little world. And I love that. As the story goes, a lot was in store for this newlywed magical couple. Before their house closed, Tanner was having some heart problems. We went to the doctors and they had decided that they wanted to do some surgeries. It was just an ablation. So they were going in and, and freezing part of his heart that was telling his heart to do something that um, it shouldn't have been doing. So we went in for the sur first surgery and they ended up bringing me back into the operating room and they were like, when we wanted to do the surgery, another thing came out. So I believe it was AFib came out from him. Like they tried medically inducing, um, his weird rhythmias that he had and AFib came out. And so they had to bring me in and they were like, what do you want to do? Do you want to have us take care of that? Or do you want to take, have us take him out of surgery and kind of see what the problem is? So I had decided like we were going to go forward with the surgery. It was a problem that needed to be fixed. So just fix it while you were in there. And they were like, okay. So that was a lot for me at 19 years old. I was like, I have never thought about getting called back into an operating room for my husband, but then it was done. It was, he was out of surgery. He was good. He was healed. Everything was awesome. And it was just and your decision. Like it wasn't his parents because you were his wife, right? Right. Little teenager right. wife. Yeah. Whoa. That's yeah. A lot. It was so, it was a lot. It was a lot. And it was, yeah, it was, it was hard. And, but I knew his personality. I was like, he's going to be so mad if he gets out of surgery and he has to recover from this and nothing's happened. And so I did verify. And he was like, I would have been very upset if I had to get out of surgery. So I was like, okay, good choice right choice. Um, and couple, couple weeks later, we were sitting in math class. We were doing college math together and he passed out and we went back to the doctor and they were like, Oh, we got to do another surgery. Um, we were worried about this happening, but we're going to go in. It's going to be the same procedure, but we're now we're going to ablate the real problem. Not the one that came out from the first one. So they went in, they ablated it. Um, there was a lot of damage on his heart because of that. And so the doctor was like, we can't do any more ablation. So if anything more were to happen, we have to go another route, but I think we're good. Like, I don't think anything's going to happen. So that was in December of 2016. And in January, we went out on a date and the problem was not over because he ended up going into cardiac arrest on our date together. And we were at Venezia's pizzeria sitting there passed out. I had a, you know, checklist started at that point. It was, I've kind of been through this a little bit. So can it, will he wake back up in a couple seconds? He didn't. I called 911 and it was just notify everybody. So get 911 here, call parents. Um, he, by the time the paramedics got there, it'd been about five minutes. So he was five minutes without oxygen. And I, in those moments, it's so interesting because you, you hyper-focus, like for me, I, I hyper-focus on the situation. And I remember the paramedics coming in and he had a button down shirt on and they ripped his shirt open. And one of the buttons flew across the restaurant 
And I like watched that button <laughs> and I was like, I'm sure I was in shock, but like in the moment I was like, I'm, I'm put together. Like I'm handling myself really well. But like, when I think back to that moment, I think of that little button flying off and just kind of like the spiral effect it all had. And um, so they rushed him to the hospital. He had flatlined. They needed to shock him six times between the restaurant and getting to the hospital. And um, they knew that he was going to have memory issues, but they didn't know the extent of that because of the lack of oxygen. And so we're sitting in a consulting room in the ER waiting for him to be okay for us and enough for us to go back and see him. And it was all my family was there and his family was there. And um, I remember just seeing how everyone kind of reacted. My mom came figuring I was going to be a widow. She's like, stuff like this doesn't happen. They don't put you in a consulting room in an ER and you're going to be a widow at 19. And of course she didn't say that to me, but it was, we all just kind of had our own thoughts going and, and he, they eventually I was able to go back and see him. And it, that was probably my first time that I kind of broke down about the situation because he was intubated and he was coming to, and so he was gagging on his tubes. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is real. Like he, he, something's wrong. Right. But then I went back into checklist mode. I went back into, I I have to be here. I can't, can't be emotional about it. And so um, that started a long week process. He was put into the hospital. He was in the ICU and the survival rate of having cardiac arrest outside of the hospital, 7%. And as they were running tests on him, they realized he also had a massive stroke while this was happening. So he should not be here. We saw so many miracles throughout the you know the last eight years, and that was one of those miracles that he was he was saved from that. Tanner got another surgery, had a pacemaker put in, and in Bailey's mind, that was the end of that heart journey. Another difficult thing that happened involved Tanner's memory. When he was finally extubated, he had a three to five minute memory. His memory was probably the next thing that was the hardest for me because he would ask why he was in the hospital. And I would tell him the whole story. And I started with the whole elaborate story of everything that happened. And halfway through the story, like his brain reset. And he, why am I here? He's freaking out. Why, what's going on? I, I'm fine. And so I had learned to tell the story in, in the two to three minutes so that he could understand why he was here. And his parents told me, they're like, you probably told that story 200 times that first day because he just would forget all the time. And we went down to get lunch and he called me and he was in tears and he's like, why are you not with me? What's going on after I just spent, you know, the first half of the day telling him the story. And so that was hard for me. That was probably the next time that I was like, Oh, emotions were hitting because here I was like putting all this time in with him, but he wasn't remembering it. And he wasn't remembering that I just needed to go get food. And then it reset overnight as well. Like I couldn't see at the hospital. And so he had called me early in the morning, Monday, just like sobbing because he's like, I'm alone. I don't need to be here. And it just reset the whole process. So I just told the story over and over and over again to him for a couple days. He lost about four days of his memory. So he doesn't have the day he went into cardiac arrest. He doesn't have, so that was Saturday, doesn't have Sunday, doesn't have Monday. Tuesday, people, friends came and visited him and he remembers that slightly. So he starts getting it back Tuesday, Wednesday-ish. Thursday, they take him back into surgery to do the pacemaker and defibrillator. And then um, 
we, he goes home that weekend. I don't remember if it was a Friday or Saturday, but that was when it really hit home for me. Like he's home safe. He's good. He was back to the Tanner that I had loved and married and all of that. And I had realized what just happened and it just all came crashing in and I was just crying and I had to go back to work, but they wouldn't let him go back to work. So we were apart and I just didn't know what was going to happen. And he was so good through it all. He just, I would cry and I would be like, this is silly. Like this happened to you, your life. He's on meds for the rest of his life. And he has a pacemaker in his heart and he had to heal from that. He had to sleep in a sling and and that was, his life has changed from this. And I'm over here crying about it. And I remember he just sat on the couch with me and he was like, this happened to you. Like it used my body, but I don't remember it. It happened to you. And that was the first time that I was like, wow, I, I experienced something traumatic. Like that's not normal to experience as a 19 year old newlywed. And I think that because of the way he reacted, it solidified how our, us as a couple because he didn't demean my feelings at all. And so it made me feel like we're in this together. And so that started the long journey and lots of testing, lots of trying to figure out why it happened. And I remember the first time meeting the doctor after uh, the hospital stay and like I said, I thought it was over. I thought that like, he's healed, he's good, he's all fine. And the doctor brought up heart failure. They're like, yeah, he, he ha still has heart failure. And I was like, no, no, he doesn't. He's fine, like he's healed. And they're like, no, he's gonna have heart failure for the rest of his life. And again, just something, you just think of these moments in life, like this was just a moment, but now it's affecting everything. And so for me, that was another realization that was more PTSD. That was more just realizing like, what is this actually going to look like for us? So yeah, it, it long journey. I mean, it was probably about a four year journey of trying to figure out what, what happened and what doctor to go with. And I learned a new language of all the heart terms and kind of what happened to him. And, um, basically he's a medical mystery to this day. They have no idea. Um, and yeah, and so we kind of had to learn what our new normal was and we found a new normal. And then 2019, he ended up getting shocked by his pacemaker for the first time. And that was terrifying because he had passed out and he was laying on the couch. He had passed out and his leg flung up in the air. And I was like, what just happened? And he like came to, and he was so groggy, so confused. And I was like, I think you just got shocked by your defibrillator. And he was like, yeah, my chest really hurts. So we call the doctor. They say, go to the emergency room. So now we're right back to where we were. And um, they're just doing all the tests. Well, they end up telling him, well, you're not safe. To, it's not safe to drive. So you can't drive for a month. And for him, he was losing control of his life. And so he started having a lot of emotional stuff happened from that of like, okay, my, my wife's handling all of this. And now she has to drive me everywhere. And, you know, just, and then his, his opinion and his, I have to take meds for the rest of my life. Like, I remember that being such a fight for him of like, I am 21 years old and I am, my life is like, I'm 60, 70, 80 years old. And, um, so there was a lot of kind of mental baggage that we both had to work through. And I think it was a big blessing that we had gotten married so young because we got to do it together. And that was something that like, he didn't handle his side and I handled my side. Like we got to do it together hand in hand. And 
so it, it was it was good for us to just experience that and kind of we grew up in a sense I had met him when I was 14 and so he really saw me through kind of my young teenage years and we just kind of got to do life together and it was it was I think really healing for us to do that so what is the best way that you guys have found to give space for each other's needs like he was there for you when it needed to be your turn to grieve or whatever and then you had to let him go through his so I guess I'm asking you a couple advice (laughs) like (laughs) like what's the best advice for how do you um leave space for each other and allow each other to have each other's feelings without it like completely breaking the relationship yeah I I feel like it has to come from a place of we grieve differently and his grief was very different than mine mine was seeing someone I love struggle and not being able to help him and his was my life is completely different now and so once I understood that our grief was different I and and it actually was his grief really was to help me a lot of the time because he was like you now have to deal with this type of person and when I realized that it was all about me like he was making it about me I saw it so differently and I saw it like you don't have to worry about me like we're gonna be okay and it was all about that respect of understanding where we were at in the process and I don't know we just had we just had compassion for each other we just understood that it needed to be I think we were all just so kind of flustered through it all and we didn't really know what to say and so there would just be we just let each other feel whatever that emotion was and sometimes we would just sit there and cry and not say anything and there'd be times that we would just want to talk about it and he would listen to his story another 300 times because I needed to talk through it and and tell him how I felt the hard thing was I found a lot of healing in telling the story and that wasn't something I found until I became a teacher because we were still, t- so I'd become a teacher that, so he had cardiac arrest January of 2017. I became a teacher August of 2017. And so we were still in like going to the doctors every couple of weeks, then it went into every three months. So my students were very aware that there was medical stuff happening and they had asked me about what had happened. And that's when I realized like I found so much healing in telling the story. And so it was hard for me because family members didn't really ask about it after he was, they had time to process. He was in the hospital. They processed for that week. And so for me, when he gets out of the hospital and that's when my trauma really started coming up, they kind of stopped asking. They stopped checking in. They stopped. And for me, I I just needed, I needed to tell the story. I love that. (laughs) I find healing in telling the story too. And then it's like, you're the girl that keeps telling the story over and over. You know what I yes. mean? And I'm like, is this annoying to people? But it helps me. So whatever. For sure. <laughs> For sure. Yes. And I think people forget that. Like, you don't know how people always react. And so it's so good to know that about yourself of like, I like to tell the story. Yeah. Maybe sometimes it seems like I'm beating a dead horse or whatever, but I feel like telling the story again helps me remember and helps me keep going forward for some reason. Does that make any sense? Yes. <laughs> yes. I totally get it. I understand it. So here is this sweet couple trying to sort all of this out. And now Tanner can't drive. And in the midst of that, Tanner was part of a huge layoff at work. Eventually, they sorted through all of this mentally. He found a new job and finally gets the okay to drive again. And Bailey, 
has news. And I'm like, this is the time I'm going to tell him my big news. And I'm pregnant. We had been trying for about six months and we weren't getting pregnant. And so that was some fear there, right? Like that's the one thing you're supposed to do as a woman is be able to get pregnant and have these babies. And what if that isn't who I am? And we're also going through this heart stuff. And it's like, is this really the time? And all of it, all of the feelings are there. And um, so I'm doing, you know, the monthly monthly tests. Oh, another negative, another negative. And finally it's a positive. And I was like, what is happening? Like how, what the heck? And I'm so happy and I'm so scared. And I'm like, he's just going to love it. He's just going to die. Right? No, (laughs) not that he didn't love it. He just didn't die. Like I thought he was going to do. So he had a doctor's appointment and it was the one to tell him he was going to be able to drive. So I got a onesie and I put it in my bag and I'm like, I'm going to tell him I'm pregnant. I'm like, but I think I'm going to wait till after the meeting with the doctor, because if he, they tell him he can't drive again, I don't know if that's the time to tell him I'm pregnant. And so I like put it in my purse and I'm like waiting it out. Doctor approves him to drive. And I'm like, okay, I can tell him. And then I'm like, no, because Tanner's a worrier. So he's going to sit there and be like, I don't have a job. So I need to wait till he gets the job. So luckily they happened on the same day. Luckily we went from the doctor's appointment. He went to the interview and got offered the job at the interview. And I was like, Hey, I got to tell him when I get home. So I get home and I'm like, okay, I'm going to put the onesie on his phone. So when he goes for his phone, he can see the onesie. Well, of course he didn't care about his phone. He was like, I'm home. I'm going to relax. So I finally ended up saying, Hey, like, go get your phone for me. And he walks over and he's like, Oh, cool. This is so exciting. (laughs) I was like oh my gosh he's not the person that's going to give me the reaction and I was so nervous because I was like he's not excited and he's not uh you know all the pregnancy hormones you're thinking about all of the worst case like he's not super involved in it but the coolest thing was watching him become a dad like I don't care about his reaction anymore about it because watching him become a dad was the best thing Oh, I don't know. You just, you think you love a man and then he could become a dad and you're just seeing him in such a different light. And yeah, but of course, because, you know, our life is crazy. We have Sterling in March of 2020. So it's the start of COVID and in the hospital room. So we have, I have Sterling and they tell Tanner, you can't leave the hospital. You have to bring everything with you because you can't leave. And So we end up having him, Tanner doesn't leave, right? As I'm getting moved to to, uh, recovery, whatever that word's called, after delivery. Okay, did you have it, did you have him um, like vaginally? Yep. Okay. I was really nervous because I didn't know that that was kind of the time they were threatening not having a birthing partner. And I would have had to do it by myself and it was our first kid. And I was like, there is no way that that can happen. But hospitals around us were not doing that. So I was really thankful, another blessing. And, um, so I have Sterling, they move me into the recovery room and then they say, Oh, and now you guys can't leave the floor. You can't go down to the cafeteria. You have to stay on this floor, preferably in this room. And we were like, this is so crazy that this is happening right now. And, but it was fine. I mean, we were there for, I had a normal, so I was out in uh, 48 hours, 24 hours, something like that. Um, and 
we got to go home. And it was great. Like at this point, I just feel like I'm living my fairy tale. Like the hard stuff, we've kind of forgotten about that. It's kind of been even now we've just accepted that we're not really going to have answers and this is going to be life. Um, we have Sterling and like life is complete. We're good. Well, summer comes and Tanner gets shocked again by his, by his defibrillator. And that was a wake up call of like, wait, he does still have heart issues. This is still our life. And go back to 2017 We get with Mayo Clinic, which we love. He has a great cardiologist there. And Tanner ends up asking her, like, what does this look like long-term? What is, how do you live with heart failure long-term? And she goes, well, people with heart failure live five to 15 years. And so he's kind of given an expiration date. And, but it's not really an expiration date because that's a long time. And medical stuff can advance so far. And so as he goes he gets shocked again in, and him getting shocked is just something weird arrhythmia is happening in his heart and his heart doesn't know how to handle it. And so the machine kicks in and shocks him and gets it. Hopefully it's just like the pads they put on them. Same thing. Um, so that was kind of the first time I had thought with Sterling, like, what would that actually look like? Like now it's reminding me okay, we're now three years into this recovery, you know, your, your heart failure and you were given five to 15 and we now have a son. So you, that can't actually be right because I, you can't leave me not, you know, without a husband and leave Sterling without a dad. And so that brought a lot of the PTSD, a lot of the anxiety back up. And part of it, you know, he was scared. Like he had grown to love this boy in, you know, three months Tanner had moments of frustration for the first while with his heart problems, but overall he was strong and unfazed. But having a child really changes things. When it happened after we had Sterling, he was laying in bed and he just like started sobbing. And he was like, why is this happening? And I can't control this. Like, we're fine. We're happy. I'm not stressed. Nothing's going on. Like, I, I just want this, this perfect life. Right. And And then it was hard because now you see your husband crying and getting really emotional about that. And that's hard as a wife, because now we're back. Like I'm scared, but now he's also scared. And so we don't normally, we're not scared at the same time. Normally, normally one of us is the stronger in the couple. And so that was, that was really hard for me. That was, that took some time to be able to get past and be able to put trust back into doctors. And, you know, you kind of have your coping mechanisms of talking yourself down of like, okay, 15 years, like, what can happen in 15 years and you're with a really good cardiologist and you're on this medicine that's helping you kind of improve your heart function and so you just start reasoning giving yourself all that hope back and then it was like just as like when it started it was over like we talked to the doctor she was like okay yeah I don't really know why this is happening back to this is a medical mystery um you gotta deal with it right like we just kind of had to suck it up and, and endure it and all right, we're going to go back to life is good. We have our son, all of that. Like, I feel like every time we kind of start getting into something and just really like accepting the fact his heart stuff goes off, right? And so you're right back to square one. And and it's hard not having answers. It's hard just being like, oh, you could have gotten a weak heart from getting sick. Or you could have gotten it from eating something weird on your mission. Or you could have gotten it from 
working out too hard, or you've cut, <laughs> you know, we have had so many different reasons of why it could have happened. And that was really, that, that's hard to not have answers. So we just get right back into life. So we, we kind of take our time, grieve it a little bit. And then we got a newborn son we got to take care of. So we turn around and we just embrace the life that we have and things go really, really well. So I want to fast forward to August of 2021. I'm starting my fifth year of teaching ASL and Tanner gets a job. He does a career change and he's now teaching entrepreneurship at the same school as me. And he was starting his first year. And again, I just, I, I've met people that say that much time with my spouse would drive us apart. Right. And for us, we just lean into each other. Like we just love spending time with each other. And so I was so excited. We kind of gotten back to this amazing life. We have a year and a half year old and which is so fun, right? He's just running around, brings us so much joy. He was just our life. We really centered our life around. We went to work and we came home and we just got to be parents and we loved it. It was, it was amazing. Let's take a quick break and let me tell you about this amazing podcast. Hey, I'm Gabby Wilkinson, and I am the creator of Dear God, I'm Sad. Dear God, I'm Sad is a brand that I created with a mission to craft a healthier and more holistic relationship between mental illness and Christianity. One of the ways that I'm doing this is by hosting a weekly podcast called the Dear God, I'm Sad podcast. So join me in this mission as I interview experts and contemporary scholars in the field of mental illness, faith, and the intersection of the two share stories from people who have experiences with mental illness and faith, and provide my own thoughts as a chemically imbalanced Christian. All this with the hopes that these conversations and stories and thoughts diminish the stigma of mental illness and faith spaces and promote healthy responses to mental illness by faith leaders. You can find me and keep up with the brand at deargod underscore I'm sad on Instagram, and you can listen to the Dear God I'm Sad podcast everywhere you get podcasts. So join me for this ride as we foster in this new age of Christianity where we respond to mental illness with compassion and kindness and goodness and beauty. So I will see you next Monday. Back to Bailey and Tanner's fairy tale life. Yeah, there were some hiccups, but they had each other and that was enough. They'd go to work together, come home together, and just bask in the joy of their son Sterling. I can see it now. Picture perfect as long as Tanner stayed healthy, right? Well, one Monday afternoon in November of 2021, Sterling got sick. Monday afternoon, he got sick. And what you would think would just be like flu, flu symptoms. And Tuesday, he started not drinking water, really lethargic. Wednesday morning, he wakes up, he seems happy. He, I'm like, oh, he's on the mend, we're good. And I realized his lips, hands, and feet were blue. So we rushed into the ER and um, the nurses really are kind of like, there's not a lot going on. They don't think there's a lot like, oh, he just kind of has a flu. Let's listen to his lungs. His lungs sound great. Let's get him an IV. We think he's dehydrated, which kind of made sense to us. And two hours of being in the ER, he just unexpectedly passed away. And that that's how it happened for us. There were so so many questions because he was such a healthy boy and it didn't make any sense. And we, because of all of our stuff with Tanner, we had kind of had this, what we felt like with this hospital. Like we don't like hospitals. We don't like going to them. 
surgeries and it's not a fun place to be. And now our son's here and where you, know, we were on edge and, and it didn't make sense. It was so random. It was so like how our only child gets in our life gets taken away from us at that point. Tanner had said something that really like it stuck with me since, since then, but he said, you know, I have spent the last year and a half making memories with someone who I thought would need them because I wasn't going to be here for him, but really I needed them. I needed the memories and I, I don't know. You just think like that never happens to you. That's never going to happen to you. I'm not going to be the one to lose that child. And, and then it happened so quickly. I mean, within less than 48 hours from when he started showing signs, did he pass away? And we have no reason for it. We have no understand. Like they doctors have no reason. They tried for an hour to try to revive him. And the hospital was amazing. They had so many nurses. They kept so again, as I talked, you know, that we saw so many blessings throughout our life. And the amount we saw with Sterling was insane because they weren't gonna let both of us back because it was flu season. They weren't going to let both parents back. And I couldn't have imagined Tanner would have let, he would have had me go back and I would have had to be the one to tell him his son passed away. And I couldn't, I can't imagine having to do that. And yeah. And so he got me and Tanner got to be there. Well, because it was the ER and things like happened so fast that he was fine one minute and he, then he had passed away the next um, they had brought him into, they call him the rapid room in the ER. And so they take him back there and it's basically a surgical room to do anything that they need to as fast as possible. And we got to be there for the whole time. So we got to see now for me, that was really healing because I knew they tried everything. I mean, they blood transfusions, medicine, seeing, was he diabetic? Was he, um, anemic was, I mean, everything he, they're just calling out all of these codes and they had brought in someone, um, it was a nurse basically like a, to help us understand everything that was going on. So if we had any questions, we could just turn to her and be like, what did that mean? And she would explain it to us. And so we knew everything that was happening. And in that moment you have like, I am not trying to put myself in the place that he's passed away. Like that's not happening right now. Tanner goes to that worst case. He's like, he's not gonna, we're not, he's not gonna make it out of this. Well, with his heart, it's never happened when he's been stressed he's never been shocked when he's stressed he's never had any cardiac arrest when he was stressed any of that and so um for me I'm worried about my son and the nurses because they were like oh Tan they knew Tanner had some heart failure or had heart failure and they were worried about him he didn't have breakfast that morning because we were worried about Sterling and so I I'm kind of in the room and trying to take care of make sure Sterling's taken care of and make sure Tanner's taken care of and Tanner doesn't care he's like I don't care if something happens to me. And I'm like, okay, no, you, you can't have something happen to you as well. And, and so I don't know. It just brought it. Like, I remember thinking when Tanner's heart failure started up, I remember thinking like, he's living his life basically like a normal person. Why did I have to go through that? Why did I? And I remember telling my mom back in 2017, why did I need to know how to handle that situation? Why did it have to be so emergent and Venezia's pizzeria that I needed to call 911, be able to handle that situation. Do I need to know that for a future child? And my mom was like, don't think that, don't think that it's okay. 
And I ended up having, when I became a teacher, I ended up having a student that had seizures a lot. And he had one in front of the class. And I remember thinking, that's why I needed to know. I needed to be able to have control over my classroom and be able to help these students handle something that a lot of them hadn't seen before. And, but now we, here we are in the hospital for my son. And that memory comes back of like, I think I knew back in 2017 that something was going to happen. Like I needed to know how to be strong in a medical emergency. And that was a really weird feeling of like, there was so much, like there was control there in some way, subconsciously, whatever, you know, whatever anyone believes, I, we're very religious. And so we definitely, like, we believe that we chose this and chose our families before we came here. And I was like, we chose Sterling, even knowing we weren't going to have him for his full life. And that brought me a lot of comfort. Like your mind's an interesting thing. You just, you just want to bring comfort to you. And so um, yeah. And so the hospital was amazing. They, we ended up wanting to give him a blessing and they wouldn't let my father-in-law come back to do it with Tanner. And so they ended up going and getting the person that owned the hospital and he came in and he gave him a blessing and then they still tried. And I don't know their religious standpoints, the nurses, the doctors or anything, but they tried for another 10 minutes before. And then they came to me and they're like, we've been trying for an hour what do you want us to do? And I was like, you can call it like, we're good, but they let us be in control of that. And that was something that was new for me. That was, I, it, that was healing. And in the moment, it didn't feel that way, of course, but looking back, it was like, they gave us that control. And, you know, we, later we had to go through because of how young he was, we basically, they, tell us all of the grieving stuff and is it what's going to happen to his body and and we go to walk out to our car and our parents had just gotten there and then the police come out to us and we need to get interviewed from the police because they needed to make sure that it wasn't abuse or neglect and it made total sense to me again I go into che that checklist mode when crisis happened I, I've re I'm realizing this about myself that that's how I handle stress and my mom was just losing it. She just was like, this is not fair. Like they are taking them back and they're going to question them about their son that they just watched pass away. Like that's not right. And for me, it's like, it makes sense. Like they have to make sure he was, he was okay. And it wasn't our fault. And they, they were the ones that told us them and, and the hospital told us that because of how young they were, they, they were going to order an autopsy because they needed to make sure that there wasn't anything going on. Um, again, the abuse and the neglect. And it was going to be about six months till we got any answers. And so we're right back to medical mystery, right? No, we have no idea what happened. And none of us were sick. I mean, it was just so random. And it was sure enough, six months later, which that was really hard because we were six months into our grieving process before we even knew what was going on. And they gave us a call and it was RSV and pneumonia. And I remember feeling really comforted at the time that I was like, okay, you know, there wasn't anything like he wasn't diabetic. We were thinking he was diabetic for a long time. And and um, that could be passed on to other kids. And I think that that would have been really hard for us to worry about. 
but I'm like, okay, so RSV, it's just sick. Like people get sick. Like that's okay. You know, that, that was an okay thing. And now I remember my mom, she was telling a friend about how we had lost him after we got his diagnosis. And in one sentence, she said, you know, our grandson passed away from RSV. And that was the end of it. And I was like, so hurt because you could explain our grief, our six months of grief in one sentence. And that's not how it was. Like, I just remember being so upset about it. And I, I was like, no, I don't want people because you have the thought of, okay, well, RSV, he was probably sick for a while. And he was probably, people think about like what they think about RSV and what they, what that looks like. And, oh, did we not get him the care that he needed as fast as he needed it? And, and so for me, I was like, yes, that's what happened. And that's the answer that they gave us, but it was his time like that back to that religious side. Like it, it was just his time because it didn't make sense. They listened to his lungs and his lungs sounded fine. And we later got an x-ray from the hospital of his chest and it was done two minutes before they pronounced him dead and they didn't get his, get it to them on time. And I don't think that would have made a difference, but just looking at those minutes being mattering and in the scan, they said that he had moderate amount of liquid in his lungs and it just blows my mind, like how it all happens. And yeah. And so now we just are living with it all. We're just living with the grief. We're living with the medical mysteries. And I am appreciative of doctors. I think that that's something that it would be really, it's hard for me to have it be medical mysteries, but I also appreciate the amount of research that's going into all of this stuff because there still are so many unknowns with it. And yeah. And like, we're right there in our journey. Like it's been a year and a half. He would have been three, two weeks ago. And we're just trying to figure out like how to move past that. We last August found out we're pregnant. So we're expecting our little girl any day now. Um, and that brought a lot of, a lot of feelings back up as well. You know, there was a lot of grief that came from being pregnant again. And are we moving on too fast? Are we forgetting him? Are we um, trying to replace him? You know, all of those feelings that you don't ever think you should feel as, as a mom to a second child. And what that, what's that perception to other people? They perceive us as being married for almost eight years and having one kid. And when is it going to be appropriate to introduce ourselves as, oh yeah, we have one, but we actually have two. There was a lot of expectations that I had for myself and that I had, that I thought other people had of me that had to, I had to deal with and I had to try to manage. And that's hard when you're trying to grieve and you're like, wait, are people expecting me to do this? Are they not expecting me to do this? Does it really matter? Like they expect me to be emotional right now, but I am emotional. I'm just not crying. Right. And I don't know. I it's, it's really hard and it's really, it's a struggle for us, but it's also through all of these massive trials, we have had so many miracles happen. And I think that that's what's been so strong for me and Tanner is we weren't alone in it. Yes. Was it a terrible thing? I don't want this to be my story. I don't want my husband to have an expiration date 
and my son to have passed away. That's not what I planned. That was not the fairy tale I wanted back when I met Tanner in 2012. I ask you this question. Who has the fairy tale they were hoping for as a child? No one wants the bad things this life offers. Yet, without them, we would not know joy. How many stories have we heard where people say they would never have chosen this, yet they also wouldn't change it because of who they became and how they can use it going forward? And yes, it feels like her husband has an expiration date, yet so did her son. How shocking to go from being so concerned that your spouse is going to pass away, then, plot twist, your child passes instead? Like, what? So then, don't we all really have an expiration date? We may not have a doctor telling us when that expiration date is, but we all have one, and we have no clue when it is. So how do we start living each day we're given more fully? And how do we take these impossibly difficult things and make them into a life worth living? How do we keep going with unknown expiration dates to live fulfilling lives? You know, we're on 11 years of knowing each other. And when you think about what we've seen in that 11 years, it's just, what's the point? Like what purpose, why do I need to have gone through this at 25 years old? What do I need to do in this world to, to help someone? <laughs> right. And I, I don't know. It's just been, it's been a whirlwind of emotions and grief is so different. Like the grief we had for Tanner, you know, he's here. Like I, yes, we went through this crazy situation with him, but ultimately I get to wake up next to him every day. But with Sterling, it's so, it's like a dream. He's like a dream right now. Like when we first lost him, his memory was so vivid for us. But now I look at pictures and I still remember him. And I can remember those hugs and I can remember his curls and, and everything, but it's, it's as if I had a dream about him. Like, it's not like it was real. It's not. And it was, a, I, we had him for 19 months and just knowing the difference he made in our life in that 19 months was insane. And so there's just so many levels. There's just so many levels of grief. And I, I feel for those, I, I had um, people close to us lost, lost a son and sibling. And, and I'm like, you think you know how to handle it? But you don't because every situation is different. Every grief is different. Every emotion is just felt different and you don't know what they need. And so for me, it's just makes us a little bit more human. And I think sometimes we, we think like, oh, we have the picture perfect family. And it makes me angry sometimes like we don't have that. But it's like, how are we better as a couple and as people because of what we've experienced? So that's our story. That's where we're at right now. And it's in progress. <laughs> I love that she said every grief is different. I was in the room in 2017 when my son coded, and the memory is very vivid. I was curious if that trauma was similar for Bailey. I know some like to keep things close and sacred, but I wanted to offer her a chance to tell the story play by play if she wanted to. I'm an open book with it because I think Again, telling the story is healing for me. And so, yeah, we were in the room. They had us in the room at all times, but they were trying to get an IV in his arm and they couldn't find a vein thick enough because of how dehydrated he was. They couldn't find a vein that they could 
they could use. And so they had found one and then the IV went bad. And so they were trying to figure out if they needed to go through one in his neck or one in his leg. And they were, so they were down at his feet, but they weren't worried about him. So they had taken them off all the stickies. So they didn't have heart rate. They didn't oh have, gosh. so it was not like he, he was sitting with me and then he wanted Tanner. Like you could tell he was uncomfortable. So another miracle, we both got a hold of him like right before he coded. And so I held him and then he went to Tanner and then he went back at me. And then they were like, hey, we're going to like, look at his, you know, try to find a place to put his IV. And we laid him back on the bed and they were talking by his feet and you saw him, he ended up like throwing up a lot of liquid. And I was like, something's not right. And then they came up and they like turned him on his side. And so the actual cause of death was, um, I don't remember what they call it, but it was basically he suffocated on his throw up was basically what it is. And, um, but that all led, he was throwing up because of the RSV. So we were there when they coded, but it wasn't this massive flashing, like beeping going on, flashing numbers on the screen. It was, it was actually just like, oh, he, he's not acting right. And then they, doctor came in and grabbed him within seconds, took him to the rapid room. And he was like, follow me. And we went back to the, and to the rapid CPR room. and stuff. Yep. For an hour. And it was like, you had pregnant women, you had like these big men, you had these like in the middle people, right. Kind of scrawny guys, kind of normal stature. And for an hour, and they were worn out mm-hmm. or they were Thank just all turns. rotating. Yep. And they were worn out doing it. And they were just trying everything. They, every, every, every possibility that it could be. Mm. How is Tanner? I feel like I am the one that I would, for lack of better terms, is weak, the weaker one. Like it really got me. And Justin's like, you know, Jackson's almost six and Justin's fine. And I'm still not recovered. <laughs> so I feel yeah. like two people can experience the same event and have different uh, reactions. So For sure. I think that to go back to your first question of how do you respect each other in the grief process? That was harder with Sterling because I, when I have a, we call them sad Sterling days. Oh, today's a sad Sterling day. You know, you wake up and you're remembering him and you're just emotional. I'm very vocal about that. I'm very much like, let's pull up videos. Let's look at pictures. Let let me just have a good cry. Tanner is not vocal. So his thing is he comes and sits. We kept his room set up. Uh, up until we turned it into Rosie's or so our baby girl's nursery um but he just would come in here and just sit and like still like up till last month he would just he's like oh yeah I went in the room and I read his favorite book to to myself but he doesn't vocalize that until a little while later and it's like so it was really frustrating for me because I'm like tell me like so that we're more compassionate for each other on that day we're more loving and understanding but then he also has times where it's, you know, in through the moment, he was definitely the weaker of us. Like he was the one that was losing it in the rapid room and nervous that the nurse, you know, there were so many nurses around Sterling and why is that? And something really wrong, you know, he just read into all of the situations, but even before Sterling had passed away. And, and because I had been through that, with Tanner, I had understood like if they're just doing their job, like but we're not going to be in their way. And then afterwards, it was just 
we just handle grief differently in that sense. So it was interesting to have, and it was frustrating actually, because I felt like we were such on the same page with his cardiac arrest. And then, but it's such a different grief. This is, you, you can't even really compare them. And I was trying to compare them. And he, I think would be quiet if I never asked the questions of how he's doing. We check in with each other probably every, it was more often like we would check in each other with each other like every day when it was really, really fresh the first year. Um, and then it went to like, oh, once a week, once every couple of weeks. And then, you know, about a month ago, we were like, I was like, I haven't really checked in. Like, we haven't talked about how we're doing with Sterling. And and he's like, I'm doing okay. Like, I've had some hard days. I think he has more steady. Like, he'll have a hard day once a week, once every couple of weeks, where for me, I'll be fine. And then one day, it's just like, I can't get through that, right? I can't, I'm just emotional. I will cry at everything. Um, where I feel like for him, he has it more evenly kind of spaced out with how he grieves. And so, um, yeah, he's, he's scared. He's, he, we've talked about a lot of the conversations with Rosie about Rosie's he's worried he's not going to bond because he goes, I put in the effort with Sterling and it was taken away from me. Like that love I have for him was taken away from me. and. He's like, I'm worried that you're going to want me to bond really fast with Rosie. And he's like, I think it's going to be hard for me because I don't want to put so much effort and love into somebody and lose them again. And that I totally get it. I'm like, when he can voice, when he can voice his feelings, like it's not wrong. Right. I'm like, thank you for telling me because now I understand that it's not you not wanting to be a dad. It's you trying to protect yourself. And that's going to be perceived from me very different than if he's not wanting to bond with her. Is it because she's a girl? Is it because of me bonding with her so much? Or, you know, I would, I would read into that. And so being open with that emotion has been what's saved us. Wow. I can't believe how much that I, I think I'm, I relate a lot with Tanner. <laughs> like I was not good during the hospital stuff. I was losing it. And then like when Jackson coded, and then he was alive again, I felt the way Tanner is feeling towards Rosie right now. Like I was like, wow, I can't love this. I couldn't connect because I was too afraid to connect, to lose, to love something so much would be so much more painful to lose it. Yes. And so it was like a disconnection for a long time. That's grief. And that's the, the growth process that happens. And it's a human thing to try to protect yourself because yes, yes. Hmm. It's so crazy. I can't imagine going from being like, okay, is he gonna like seriously switching the focus of wondering if you're going to be a widow and then all of a sudden, what the heck, the person you thought was going to die isn't the one that actually was going to yeah. die. How shocking. Yeah. It was, it was like life altering. It was like, so yeah, I don't even know how to explain no it. Words. It's just, you don't even like prep yourself. Like, I don't even know as much as I feel like I've prepped myself for Tanner passing away. I don't actually think I did. Right. You always, you always sit there and you want that miracle, right? You want the miracle of like, Oh, he's saved. Like Tanner's we've been real again, miracles. Like he Tanner's heart function has improved. He will always have heart failure, 
but his heart function is almost back to what normal people's heart functions is. And so for me, like we always just have the happily ever after we have, we have the happy ending. And so this can't be that end. Like for us, like it can't be because it's not happy right now. Like as much as we love Sterling and we love the impact that he had on us, like this, we have grief and we're trying to handle that. And so this isn't, this isn't the end of it. Mm. Bailey talks often of grief. And as I've watched for updates on Facebook, everything she writes is so beautiful and positive. And so I asked, how did you not turn to anger? My anger. So it was interesting because I was so sad, but anger didn't hit for a long time and anger didn't hit the way I thought it was going to hit. And so there was no one I could be angry at. I couldn't be angry at the doctors because I was there. Like everything went as well as they wanted it, you know, as well as it could have gone, right? Like they tried everything. And so it couldn't be at the doctors and it couldn't be at Tanner. Like we, the, the blessing that we had was because like we raised Sterling together. One of the questions the police officers asked us was who would you say was the main parent? And I was like, well, both of us. And they're like, no, like who's the main parent? And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like we did everything together. Like he had a poopy diaper. We would go into his bedroom together and it would be like a family event to change his diaper. Like feeding him food was a family event, like bedtime, like we did everything together. And so it couldn't have been one of our faults because we were with each other the whole time. We were experiencing everything the same. And so I couldn't be mad at Tanner and you know, the, it's funny now, but in the moment who I turned angry to later was my mom and my, my in-laws and my parents, because they're older than me and they're going to be able to meet him first. Probably that was my anger of like, they're going to see him in heaven before I can. And that's not fair. Cause I'm his mom and I get to see him. And so I had the anger, but it wasn't towards who I thought it was going to be towards. And I did have, you know, with God, like we, I would ask myself all the time, like, why, why is this happening? But I couldn't be upset because we were given a perfect son for 19 months. You know, when I sit and think about people who've had miscarriages, like we were lucky enough to have 19 months and got a personality and a picture and a face and they don't get that. Like, how lucky am I? How blessed am I to have had that versus losing him as an infant, losing him during childbirth, losing him while he was still in the womb? Like, I honestly felt so blessed that we had the 19 months and we documented everything because me and Tanner were both there. Like, we have so many pictures and so many videos of him that I feel like we saw his whole life. Like, we got, we can just rewatch it. And, so anger for me, I've had anger with it, but it's not been as big as I thought it was going to be. And I'm thankful for that because I think it wasn't an angry situation. Like he wasn't, no part of Sterling was ever angry. Like even when he got upset, he would put his head on the floor, give himself like 30 seconds. And then he would stand up and he would go and play and he's fine. Like he was never angry. And so I'm like, we can't be that I don't, I don't want to ever have that anger because, but I, I have, it's interesting because I'm experiencing it now. Like for his birthday this year was hard. I've, I've experienced a little bit more anger of like, 
I, I did have anger that, you know, I did have anger towards people who had kids, people who like I saw have multiple kids that I was like, why do you get five healthy kids? And we lost our one. So that I did, I did have anger in a sense of, or people seeing people not value their time as a parent. That was a little bit, that was hard for me where if they were really getting on their kid's case, I would be like, just let it go. Like, it doesn't matter. Like you, it doesn't matter. Like you're not going to remember this and you need to remember the happy times. Like, it's okay that you're frustrated. And, and it was such a hard, like, you kind of have your lead with your heart and lead with your head. Like the head part is like, they have five kids. They got to get through that. Right. They have, they can't just like let everything slide because they have to teach their kids how to be adults and you know whatever. But the heart in me was like, just love them because you don't know how long you're going to have them. And I think that perspective will not ever leave me. I hope it never leaves me. Oh, that's really beautiful. You really are just as amazing as your post. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that my anger now that listening to you, because I've been trying to understand my anger, because my anger was all at God, like only at God. And now that I think about it, I'm giving myself permission to let let that have happened because I judge myself for being so angry at God. But you also didn't watch like. Like he didn't suffer for very long. So yeah. I think that's where my anger comes from is like, Heavenly Father, why did you let this little boy suffer? But now when I talk to him, he's like, I don't know. He's like Tanner. He's like, I don't remember any of that. Yeah, <laughs> that was really validating to hear you say Tanner told you like this happened to you through me. And I'm like, wow, that just gave me a whole bunch of healing because I'm always like, why am I freaking out? It's, it happened to Jackson. It's Jackson's heart. I've never once thought that it happened to me. So thank you yeah. for saying that because I'm like, wow. <laughs> It was so earth shattering when he said it, that I was like, I have never felt so much love from somebody, you know, like that was such a loving comment when he was handling what he was handling too, you know? Yeah. That's so beautiful. Bailey has since had her sweet baby girl, Rosie. So it's really fun to hear this conversation pre-Rosie. I can't wait to see Rosie. That is the cutest <laughs> name ever. <laughs> I will tell you her, her, um, ultrasound pictures they look identical really like they look identical yeah and so I am like I am so excited I'm a little anxious but I am telling Sterling I have high expectations for labor because I don't get to have to I don't get to introduce my oldest to my youngest I don't get that picture moment of we're all sitting in the bed together. I don't get the picture of my family being together. And so I'm like, Sterling, you better make yourself known during that labor and delivery because I know you're going to be there. Like he would not miss it. And I need to feel him there. Like that is my expectation of like, he's going to be there. So make it known that you're going to be there. <laughs> oh, well, good luck with that. Having expectations <laughs> is so bad for me. You know, you know. <laughs> No, I know it's gonna be beautiful labor is my favorite thing about my whole life like I would do I would go in labor every day I love labor it's like heaven is in the room and it just is so beautiful so there's no way it's not gonna be magical right so through everything that you guys have been through the final question I have for you is what do you wish that people saw beyond your white picket fence you know I I go back to we're all struggling. And 
I know I'm not the only one that doesn't want this to be their story, right? Like, I don't want this to be how my story ends. And what I've realized and what I want people to take from that is it will always be part of my story, but I decide how I tell it and how I use it to impact the world. And I think if we can look at that, if people can see like I'm taking my trials and trying to impact the world with it and whatever that looks like, like it's going to be different all the time and it's going to be easier and harder at times, but I get to, I get to decide how it impacts me and everyone else. Thank you so much for listening. I'll miss you till next time. But if you need more, no worries. You can go back and listen to the entire first season if you missed it. And or connect with me on Instagram at Beyond with Chelsea, where you never know what's going to happen next. <laughs> Link in the show notes. And remember, lead with kindness because you never know what's going on for someone beyond their picket fence. Mm-hmm.